I'm Robert from San Diego, California. I'm Cody from Sacramento. I'm Eric from Durham, North Carolina. Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me. If you'd like to support the show like I did, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. Before we talk to friend of the show, Paul Rust, here's some of the trailer from the teen romp, I Love You, Beth Cooper, in which he's the star. Your valedictorian. I would like to say here today the one thing I will regret if I never say. I love you, Beth Cooper. You embarrassed me, but it was so sweet. I'll have to let you live. There's a little soiree at my house tonight. Well, maybe we can stop by. That's the Trinity. She's everything he ever wanted. Don't be so nervous. You can smell fear. Ooh, fear. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. You know, it is not often that a friend of the program is catapulted into fame, but it's happened uh, this very year. A, a good friend of the show, Paul Rust, who's even done characters on our sister show, Jordan Jesse Go, uh, became a Variety 10 Comics to watch last year. And as if that wasn't impressive enough, he was shortly thereafter cast as the star of the new feature film, I Love You, Beth Cooper, directed by Chris Columbus, who's best known as the director of films like uh, Home Alone 2 and Harry Potter 2, as well as Home Alone 1 and <laughs> Harry Potter 1. Uh, he's also going to be featured uh, in the new Quentin Tarantino movie, Inglorious Bastards. Um, Paul, it's great to have you on The Sound of Young America. What, what oh, a, it's what, great to be here. It's, it's great to have you under such pleasant circumstances, you as a major motion picture star. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, it's it's nice to be here. I'll be honest with you. Uh-huh. I remember maybe four years ago, sure. three years ago, listening to the show and being like, I want to be on the show. It's a goal of mine to be on the show. So when you ask, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm a big fan of the show. So when I was asked to be a guest on it as, as myself, I was like very, very flattered. So I, thank you. I'm so happy to have you. So you, you grew up in Iowa. That was something that I did not know about you. Yeah. This is the broadest question maybe that I've ever asked a guest. <laughs> but what is Iowa like? Oh, I've never been to Iowa. I'm sincerely interested in what Iowa is like. Iowa's very interesting because it's a it's a neat. I guess I'll just talk about politically first. That's oh, of course. I definitely want to hear about the politics. <laughs> no, but it's just like it, when I ask that question, it's implied that I'm asking about the political scene. <laughs> it, it answers something socially too, which is like it's an interesting like perfect storm of like midwestern conservatism, but also like. People there are also kind-hearted and thoughtful and smart and well-read, and so it's a cool state. I, I really like. It. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's like everybody talks about it being flat, but they think of Nebraska. Iowa actually has beautiful rolling hills. And I'm leaving in two hours to go back, so I'm very excited. My Good friend and co-host on Jordan Jesse Go, Jordan Morris, and I yeah. have often talked about our experience with something that, that you and I were talking about just before we went on the air, and that's. Pee-wee Herman and, and Pee-wee's Big Adventure, um, Pee-wee's Playhouse. I used to watch Pee-wee's Playhouse every week uh, with my mom, mm-hmm. and I told Jordan that one time. And Jordan uh, laughed and said, every week I asked to watch it, and my mom wouldn't let me. <laughs> 
because she thought it was too weird. Oh, really? Yeah. I, uh, where where was your where was your family on the uh, the Pee Wee's Playhouse continuum? It's funny because when you said that, I thought it was going to be your mom watched it because it you know it it could be enjoyed by adults. And what I've always liked about Pee Wee's Playhouse is that. It's the one time where they say kids can watch it and adults will like it too. Like you hear that all the time. And usually what that means is like Shrek farts uh-huh. or, you know, <laughs> Shrek makes some ham handed parody like, of American Idol. I like, was going to say, yeah, maybe like an allusion to Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that's, that's what's for parents. And the thing that I liked about Pee Wee's Playhouse and Big Adventure is that the way it works is that it's for adults, but it's for adults in the way that it, like, just taps into, like, this giddy, like, childlike place and that's still in you. And, like, that's what's awesome about it, you know? So as far as my parents, no, they, they were they were in full support of Pee-wee. I mean, they thought he was weird, for sure. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to be fair, he was. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird show. I mean, I watch it now, and I'm like, whoa, this is on TV. It's like that in Twin Peaks when you watch it, like, this was on TV. People tune this in, you know. Uh, that and the Torkelsons are the three <laughs> the three shows that I can't believe were ever on network television. I remember on your old website, uh, uh, one of the featured uh, items of content, um, back in the days when websites often just featured like five different things that the person found and sent to their web designer, mm-hmm. was a piece of Pee Wee Herman fan art that you'd made <laughs> as a small child. Yeah. Was it like really seminal for you? Yeah. I mean... For me, I think it was just like, A, it was just really funny for me, and it tickled me some way. But then also, B, you know, it's liberating when you're living in Iowa, and you see a guy be weird, but then do it well. And like, you know, when you feel weird, I mean, that's just like, in the same way that people probably like, identified with Kurt Cobain or something. <laughs> like, I identified with like, Pee Wee Herman, he spoke to me for some reason, and you know, I... I and now going back to it and like watching that movie, it's just like, what's really cool about it? The thing that I noticed most is that like, there's a scene where Pee Wee comes out and he turns on all the water of his sprinklers and they're spraying everywhere. And his neighbor, who he had just talked to, <laughs> he starts laughing and like giggling as <laughs> Pee Wee's doing it, even though it's spraying his windows and stuff. And like, that is a small choice, but it's like a major choice, which is like, oh, he lives in a world where it's not that. People are like, Pee Wee's so annoying and like getting frustrated with him. It's a world where like Pee Wee's liked and it operates under that, you know. And I think that's like what's great about those that movie and something that doesn't get done enough in comedy, in my opinion. But. <laughs> <laughs> you talked a little bit about um, uh, feeling feeling like one of the nice things about Pee Wee was that it was liberating. The, the movie I Love You, Beth Cooper, is a, a high school movie where you play mm-hmm. a a high school senior who's essentially liberating himself from the bonds of uh, uh, high school and also the sort of the expectations of his, you know, nerdiness and, and all that kind of thing. What what were you like in, in high school? It's been weird because, like, it's, it makes for a nice story that, like, I was a nerd in high school and I'm playing a nerd in high school in a movie. And, like, although that was certainly true to an extent i went to a class that was like it was a small high school i had a class size of 40 people and when you're in a class size of 40 people like it's it's silly to like demarcate everybody into different cliques and groups and stuff because by the end 
you have eight groups with like five people. <laughs> it just doesn't like make sense or work. And so this sounds like geek defensiveness. Like I wasn't a geek at all, but like I was like homecoming king of my class. Like people just liked that I was like goofy and silly. And so like nerd wasn't so much. And that was the shocking part when I first moved out to LA. In maybe a, in a form of self denial, it was the first time that I recognized like, oh, I look like a nerd and like people see me that way and I'm going on all these auditions for Rice Krispies where I'm a dork or I'm doing a guest spot on Drake and Josh where I'm a nerd. I'm like, okay, I get where I'm at, but like, hate Lord of the Rings, <laughs> like, <laughs> can't get into Harry Potter. I go to the movies and I watch them. I went to it last night, but I just, it, I, I don't sort of have those typical geek like things. What made you feel confident in high school that you could be a that you could be a goofy guy and get away with it? Were there things that you did that went well that made you think, "Oh, ah, this is uh, yeah. this will fly." Well, the first time I remember my first memory of like, "Oh, I'm performing for the class," and I'm like approaching this in the way an actor would was in fourth grade. I remember we had to do like mock interviews, and. uh where it was like somebody was one person, then I played a character, and it was ostensibly to like get out information. Like I was, you know, a veterinarian. I'm supposed to talk about animals, and we're doing our report through this interview. But then I just kind of made it into a character, and then as I was doing it, I was doing this thing where I'm kind of doing it now, where like my legs were crossed over each other, and I just started doing this thing after I'd answer a question or make a joke. I'd wrap my hand around my ankle and kind of move my foot around. <laughs> And it got, like, a big response <laughs> the first time I did it. I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, that'll be kind of my catchphrase sort of thing. You know, like, in my mind, I made that choice. And then I started doing it throughout the interview and making it bigger and bigger. And it was, like, the first time I remember thinking, like, oh, this is probably what people on Saturday Night Live do. They pick the thing and then they do it, you know, and do it silly. And, like, uh, so that was, like, the first time I remember thinking, like, Oh, I'd like to perform. And like when they were laughing, it's like, you know, if you're a class clown and people laugh, it makes you feel great. But then when you do something that you kind of wrote and people laugh, then it's like, oh, this could be something I'd be interested in. I hadn't thought about it in the longest time, but I'm now remembering a series of stories I wrote <laughs> in second grade called Stupid Man. And I remember, I remember, like I really hadn't thought of this in maybe 10 or 15 years, but Stupid Man had a catchphrase, which was, Stupid Man, he say, a duh. <laughs> Well, that's, that still holds up, Jesse. <laughs> it's pretty like, good. If somebody you know, made I, Stupid Man, I would be like, oh, this is great. I'm going to go, I'm going to capture this, uh, write it down so that I can, <laughs> so I can get together a treatment. Well, the, the other thing that was on my website was I did, I, I, if you saw it, it was like, uh, I don't think it's up anymore, but it was like fake movie title spoofs. I took the logos and I redrew them. And I think I might have done, no, I didn't do Superman as Stupid Man. What was it? But I do remember like, Gremlins was Germans. <laughs> it's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is friend of the show, Paul Rust. Here's some of Paul's comedy. In this clip, he's breaking some bad news to his girlfriend, campfire style, which in this case means in a scary voice with a flashlight pointed at his face. It was a dark and stormy night, and two teenagers sat on a couch. What are you doing? I thought you said you had something you wanted to talk about. Do you remember when we were broken up? 
for about six weeks. Yeah. I had sex with Kimmy. Cut it out. I can't tell if you're being serious. I'm being dead serious. You had sex with Kimmy? Yes. When we were broken up. I don't like knowing that, but... If we were broken it up... It gets scarier! Kimmy gave me herpes! Mike, this is not funny! I'm not being funny! This is scary and real! And I have to tell you this! Kimmy gave me herpes, and I probably gave you herpes! This is so not cool. I mean, first you're using this annoying, scary voice. It's not even really scary. You know, it's agree not. To no, agree it's to disagree. Not it's pretty scary. No, it's not okay. scary. And then you're telling me that I have herpes? Look, this is how I break bad news. I use a scary voice. Well, it's really immature. You have a very distinctive sense of humor. Um, and, uh, it's, what are the things that you think that informed your sense of humor? What do you think, uh, what do you think taught you what was, what you thought was funny? I'm trying to think. My, f the first thing I remember laughing really hard at was that scene in The Jerk where he gets the Dear John letter in the bathtub and it starts to smear and he can't read it and he's like you know, he's trying to read like best up words i remember re seeing that and being like oh okay that's this is making me laugh in a way i've never laughed before you know this is like really funny and then that scene is just amazing because it escalates where at the end he's got two dogs in front of him at least naked walking with a dog in front of his <laughs> junk and his butt and stuff like i remember watching that in my house as a i think it was six and I had tears streaming down my face, and I was wheezing from, like, laughter. And that's still that scene today. Like, I watch <laughs> it, I, like, laugh, like, do I, you, I love do it. You really, do you feel like your sense of humor is basically the same as it was when you were six years <laughs> I old? I think so, in a way. I mean, certainly, like, the things that I think are funny are being very specific about, like, old things that I knew when I was a kid. So, like, I wanted to do, I so want to do a one-man stage show about Jeff Daniels' promotional tour during arachnophobia. Because <laughs> he was doing these... Every press junket question I would see... I remember seeing this in interviews, because I was excited about the movie, so I was watching all of his interviews. They would always bring up, like, well, it's interesting that you are in a movie arachnophobia, but you actually have a fear of spiders in real life. And he'd have to explain it. I want to do a... A one-man show that's all about him at a crisis point of, like, do I have to keep talking about the fear of spider? <laughs> you know, like, the machines made me do this. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's, like, what I think is funny is, like, very specific. A few years ago, I remember so. you did do a stage show with a couple of uh, friends here in Los Angeles that mm -hmm. was a sort of teen comedy romp version of the American cinema revolution of the early 1970s in mm -hmm. which you were, I'm, I'm maybe m misremembering this, but you were Steven Spielberg, I think. Right. Yes. There was a Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, that was Mike Cassidy. <laughs> that was our, yeah, that was our sketch group, uh, Fireball Deluxe. So I was Spielberg, Mike Cassidy was Coppola, Neil Campbell was Scorsese, and uh, Chris Stengel was Brian De Palma. 
and it's one of my favorite things I've ever written. Or I, you know, I wrote it with the three guys and stuff. But the idea is that we read that book, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, and the stories in that are like so funny. Like there's a thing where like Margot Kidder's just wearing a shirt, no underwear, sitting like eagle, spread eagle, eating a big bowl of chili. <laughs> and like, we were like, we would have written that. That's like a joke we like, you know, it's like that image. So then we're like, what can we do? And so we, we, we thought, well, and I, I guess a lot of like the ideas, you know, the stuff that I write myself or with people, it's kind of about like taking two disparate ideas and putting them together and seeing like what happens. So it's like the film brats, from the 70s plus, yeah, like, teen sex romp and putting them together. And so, like, Spielberg was, like, the virgin who has to get laid and De Palma is, like, the lech, the perv, the guy who's, like, you know. And then uh, Coppola is, like, the big party animal dude. And Scorsese sort of, like, the cool leader who's got a hot temper, you know. So, uh, yeah, it was a really fun show to do. I mean, like, certainly I've been playing that Spielberg character from that point forward because I think it's like <laughs> this sort of man-child stuff is really funny. You probably, uh, Chris Columbus, who directed your uh, new movie, has worked extensively with Steven well, Spielberg. Well, you know, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, he worked with Spielberg on uh, Gremlins and Goonies and on the set I did nothing but ask him questions about, about both movies, and <laughs> particularly Gremlins. You, didn't, you weren't just asking him questions about Home Alone 2 Lost in New York? No, I did ask him, what did I ask? I asked a question that's been bothering me since 1993, which is, <laughs> did Jeff Daniels get rookie? Did he get the directing job for Rookie of the Year by appearing in Home Alone 2? Was that part of the contract? Because like, <laughs> it was both Fox. They come one year after the other. Was they sort of like, I'll do your sequel <laughs> if I get to direct my Passion this, project this. <laughs> about a boy who accidentally gets a bionic arm. I've been sitting on this story for years. Super powerful tendon transplant, if I remember correctly. I don't think it's a transplant. He just fucks it up real good. (laughs) (laughs) Like now he can throw balls really fast, which is they need to do a remake of that. And I don't mean like oh, they certainly do need to. I don't mean with like Pinkett, Jaden Pinkett Smith or anything. I mean like Wally Cox, but I don't know. Is that a person? Uh, uh, but yeah, so no, but the answer was uh, Chris was just like, well, he was very close with Joe Roth, who was the head of Fox at the time, so maybe that was going on. So I didn't really get an answer. So sorry, all you rookie heads out there. <laughs> I couldn't get to the bottom of that. So when you got to Hollywood and you first went from uh, just being a, a guy doing goofy stuff, you know, at comedy theaters with your buddies to having representation, going mm-hmm. on auditions. You you described that feeling of it being weird that you when you realize that you're going out for a type mm-hmm. all the time. What, what was that like? I remember there being like a two-week period where I was kind of like, oh, this hurts my feelings and this kind of sucks that like I'm a goofy-looking guy and I'm going out for goofy-looking parts and stuff. And then, but then ultimately I was like, well, at least I have it. And I mean, like there's... It's easier to, like, go into a room knowing, like, I know my thing and I can do it, you know. The interesting thing about it, it really only works in, like, commercials. And lately it's been decreasing with movie auditions and certainly was never a case at the UCB. I mean, nobody really remarked or commented on that I looked a certain way. But I think that's just because, like... So like the comedy theater in Los Angeles. The yeah, right. Theater. Yeah, yeah. I, I think everybody there is sort of character actory looking you know what i mean so like we're all in a 
that sort of <laughs> distinct club, you know, but, uh. That was nice of you to say about everyone that they're character actory looking. <laughs> Is that bad? Is that They have a disti- each, each and every person has what we'll call a distinctive look. <laughs> There's definitely handsome people there and good looking women and stuff. It was just like, I'm more in that. I mean, that's what's been kind of interesting is like when I get on movie sets and stuff, there's definitely, and not in a bad way, not to say actors are bad or anything, but there's a certain distinction between like hanging out with other comedians and then hanging out with like actors and, and like the kind of like, and the differences is like actors are like, oh, I'm gorgeous looking, (laughs) you know what I mean? So, um, and you know, both are great people though. When you were cast in I Love You, Beth Cooper, which is essentially a very um, a very much a kind of a silly teen comedy, but also it's directed by Christopher Columbus, so mm. it has a, a lot of um, uh, uh, it has the tone that one might expect from a Christopher Columbus movie. It's it's very uh, has a lot of very sincere emotional moments, uh, bordering on the maudlin. Mm-hmm. Um, you had never been in a movie before. So when you get to the set, like, how do you figure out what you're supposed to be doing? Yeah. Like, what tone you're supposed to have? I sort of lucked out in the sense that I had done semi-pro a year before. All my scenes got cut out. But watching those guys, I was kind of like, okay, I get how it works. And so then when I got on to I Love You, Beth Cooper, I feel like that semi-pro was sort of my, like, education, you know? But even that said, I mean, when you go on the set, like, there's no preparation like there's just like you just sort of fly by the seat of your pants i mean the opening scene the camera pans across my face and i remember that was like the third week and i was like how do i not look into the lens how do you do this (laughs) nobody's taught me this i mean i guess i could have taken like an acting on camera class that they offer in los angeles everywhere but like i didn't so i was just kind of like i guess i'll just pick this point and stare at it never change my you know so i was definitely learning and then also to her credit like hayden panettiere my co-star she, like, has been doing camera work, on-camera work, since she was, like, eight months old. And so, like, she's a total pro, and, like, she helped me out, you know, just by being like, Paul, you're standing in front of the camera, you're blocking me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, like, that sort of guidance that I needed, you know. Hopefully, if I do something else, I won't be as much of a rube on that's, the set. You that's know? interesting, too, because you're, uh, at the time you're filming this, what, like, 26, 27 years yeah, I old? Tw- I had my 27th birthday on the set yeah. and she is a, a teenager she's like 17 or 18 yeah or she's like, like 18 that. or 19 yeah yeah so it, it must have been interesting to be to be looking for mentorship and guidance to somebody who's uh high school age yeah no it's it was an interesting thing where it's like i'm much older than her but she was the one who was sort of um my mentor during it you know and that was, yeah it was an interesting thing but uh, and then as far as the age thing goes, I remember I went in for like a second audition. I had like three auditions and a test and screen test and stuff. And I remember like the second or third audition, there was another guy who was auditioning for the same part. And we were walking back from the, from the audition, walking back to our cars together, talking about it. And I was like, man, I got to say, if I got this part... I feel pretty weird about being a 26, 27-year-old guy, like, kissing an 18-year-old. And this other guy was like, not me, man. <laughs> he, was like, <laughs> <totally>. <laughs> he was totally excited, ready to go for it. I was like, all right. <laughs> well, 
Well, speaking of being totally excited and ready to go for it, uh, one of the big set pieces in the movie involves you running around in your underpants. Yeah. Um, and they're, uh, they're Spider-Man underpants. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, uh, I haven't done a lot of on-camera acting, Paul, but uh, I did do a local television commercial in the San Francisco Bay Area yes. that featured me. Uh, wearing nothing but uh, fire pants with uh, fire uh, underpants with fire trucks. It's very difficult for me to <laughs> talk about this. In I know going back to it is a hard place. Underpants right? with fire trucks on. Whoa! Them. For what? What was the it commercial? Was a, it was a commercial for an arts college in the Bay Area, uh-huh. and uh, the premise was that I was uh, I was in a stuffy corporate environment, and then I went crazy and tore off all my clothes and quit because I was going to arts college. That's a big. I mean, and it's, it was a terif- commercial. Like it everybody sees that. Terrifying. It was terrifying. And in fact, I had to take off my underpants, too, although they, that didn't show up in the commercial, obviously. <laughs> did you really? Yeah, I did. Did you have any sort of pasties? It was, or It was, um, no, I did not. sock? I was nude. Whoa. It was terrifying. They sent people off the set and stuff. Yeah, and closed you, set. So I wonder, <laughs> what, was it, what was it like for you to do this scene where you're in front of all these people who work on a movie? I mean, a television commercial, it's like five people. A yeah. movie, it's like dozens of people, and you're... Really in novelty underpants. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it was actually uh, really easy for me because I've done, like, I've been naked on stage at the UCB theater. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and there's, I, I recognize that there's no finer joke when you're hanging out with your friends than taking your penis out. <laughs> like, <laughs> One of my favorite jokes. I think we can all recognize that point. <laughs> Men of fact. and women, we all know it's funny to take our penis out. But no, like at a party, it's a, it's a funny joke to go into the bathroom and then come back out with your penis hanging out. It's like, don't worry, guys, we got toilet paper. <laughs> but so I don't know. I've been used to like using nudity to get a laugh, and so certainly semi nudity was was no problem. You did know? you get to keep the underpants? I do. They're in like the top drawer. And actually, yesterday. Because I'm going to Iowa, and my mom's been like, I'll do your laundry, just put all your dirty laundry in the bag, and we'll do it when we get back home. I haven't been doing it. And like last, yesterday, I was down, my last pair was the Spider-Man underwear. I was like, do I wear that? But I was going to like a pitch meeting, I was like, that's not like appropriate. <laughs> or if it goes well, then I'll think it's lucky, and then I'll have to wear these weird underpants everywhere. So you just didn't wear underpants? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Or pants. I just put it there completely confident. Yeah, well, and if you go Because you had read Easy Rider's Raging Bulls. Yeah. Margot Kidder was in You brought some chili me. and you were ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Production of The Sound of Young America is underwritten in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. This September, MaximumFun.org is headed east. You can check out The Sound of Young America Live, our live stage show, in Philadelphia September 16th as part of the Philly Fringe. It's a live Sound of Young America program played out before your very eyes with music, comedy, and interviews. Our guests on the Philadelphia show include the Spinto Band, comics artist Charles Burns, the director of the Mutter Museum, and more. Then the next night we'll be offering the freewheeling comedy of the Monsters of Podcasting, That's You Look Nice Today and our own Jordan Jesse Go. On the 18th, we'll be headed to New York for a live show at the Jerome L. Green Performance Space at WNYC. 
My guests include Scott Adsit from the NBC comedy 30 Rock, musicians Nellie Mackay and Andrew W.K., and much more. Saturday, September 19th, the Monsters of Podcasting hit the UCB Theater in New York. For more information and tickets, visit MaximumFun.org. Hello, everybody. My name is Jimmy Pardo. I'm uh, the host of the very popular podcast, Never Not Funny. We are popular in both a free and paid format. Your choice. I prefer you go with the latter. Uh, I am alongside my co-host, who's also the producer, who's also uh, got the new nickname, The Entrepreneur. His name is Matt Belknap. How you doing? I'm doing okay, Matt. Thanks. I appreciate you asking. Um, I said thanks. No, you did. (laughs) And I guess Jesse Thorne, who is the host of The Sound of Young America, who is a delightful man and funny in his own right. And a friend of ours. A terrific friend and a close guy. I would call him in a heartbeat if my car broke down, but it won't because I've got a new car. Uh, he asked us to put together a little 30-second commercial, and I don't know what to do for that, so I'm just going to talk nonstop. Well, the good news is we're already over time. <laughs> All right, great. So uh, listen, this is a, if you like what you just heard, listen to our podcast. Yeah, just go to podcast.com. Everything you need is right there. We have comedians, actors, broadcasters. Yeah. Uh, from Funny uh, people doing funny stuff. We're just talking, enjoying ourselves, making each other laugh. Podcast.com. Please join us. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is friend of the show, Paul Rust. He just got his big break, a starring role in the Chris Columbus film, I Love You, Beth Cooper. And he also appears in the upcoming Tarantino film, Inglorious Bastards. Here's a sketch with Paul Rust meeting comedian Hal Rudnick in the park for a game of catch. Hey, man. Oh, hey, dude. Sorry I am late. I just got this new computer, so I kind of got caught up looking at online porn. <laughs> That's great, cool, man. <laughs> oh, just be careful, though. Uh, you know, online porn's the easiest way your computer can get a virus. So. Uh, well, I haven't had any problems. Right on. In fact, I just got a free $500 gift card for Macy's in the mail! Apply now and stay yours before they're all gone! Okay, I don't think your computer's infected. This is weird, but it seems like your brain is infected and you're spamming me face-to-face. I'm just telling you, as a friend, about this exclusive deal for a Macy's gift card. Answer just a question or two, and boom, you got a shopping spree. LOL! LOL. LOL! No, we're not talking on the computer. LOL! Stop saying LOL. Hey, we're two people. We're having a conversation. We're trying to talking face-to-face. You were recently cast in the uh, Quentin Tarantino movie *Inglorious Bastards* yes. with an E, and uh, went and shot that movie. Uh, was it very different being in a movie run by Quentin Tarantino uh, from being in a movie run by Christopher Columbus? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely like. Look, I like. I actually people slag on Chris and stuff, but I really like him both as a person and. As a director of like comedy films, like Home Alone, like I think it's just like they're pretty great films. Yeah, I go back and I watch those scenes. I'm like, every scene is funny. There's no like moment where he drops the ball. Everybody gets Catherine O'Hara gets to be funny. Jack Jack Candy, <laughs> no, John Candy gets like it's just a really great movie. And so like I, I I'm a big admirer of his, um, and then I'm also a huge admirer of. Um, Quentin Tarantino, you know, and big and huge, by the way, are in the same thing. I'm right. Not, I'm not uh, <laughs> saying one's greater than the other or anything, but like uh, the thing that's interesting about them, they are like totally different. You couldn't, you know, it, it almost seems like somebody was just doing this to like point out the difference between two <laughs> filmmakers. It's like Chris in an admirable way is like a guy who's like, I'm going to follow the rules of like 
a movie because that's going to be ultimately satisfying for an audience is like kind of comfort food, you know? And in a similar way, Quentin, or in a different, a completely opposite way, Quentin like breaks all the rules of filmmaking when he's doing them, breaking his own rules, in fact, from like movie to movie, uh, in a really awesome way. And then that's also satisfying for people. So they, I think they both kind of like get what they want, you know, but, um, and both please an audience. But yeah, I mean, and, and the other thing that they share is that they're both incredibly passionate about film, love films, and are two cool dudes who don't slag on other films or other filmmakers. They don't, like, that's just, like, not part of them to, like, talk shit about another movie. And I think that's because they both love films so much they don't want to waste their breath talking about stuff they don't like, which is really cool. But, um, yeah, I mean, Quentin was uh, awesome. He was, like... Look, I have a very, very small part in Glorious Bastards, so I don't want people to hear this and then go see the movie like, what? He took all this insight away from his five-second appearance, you know? But, like, I was there for seven, eight weeks in Berlin working with, you know, on set and being with Quentin, and he's just such an awesome guy. His, like, his filmmaking, the, th the insight that I took away is the reason his movies work is because when he's shooting a movie, he's imagining himself as an audience member at his own movie. I think other directors try to kind of, like, perceive this, like, invisible audience or try to guess at what people want, you know? And, like, Quentin's thing is, like, I'm going to make the movie I would like to see. And so what happens is it's the same way with comedy. I, I feel that it's, like, if you're writing comedy or performing comedy, if you're doing stuff that you know you would laugh at if you were watching, that means there's going to be at least... 5% of the population who's going to also think it's funny, and that'll be your audience, and they'll love your work because it's specific, you know? And I think Quentin's the, the same way. Sorry, that was a very long response to your question. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great response. You got to hang out with um, uh, a guy who I'm sure you know from the Los Angeles comedy world, the very funny uh, stand-up comic and actor on The Office, B.J. Novak, oh, who's yeah. also in the film. Yeah. Was it odd to be on this super actorly movie with a guy that you knew completely from the comedy world? Yeah, well, was, what was really cool was BJ was the first guy who was nice to me when I moved to L.A. and was doing open mics. He was at the same open mic, the first fellow comedian, I guess. Um, also, Chad Foglin was really great, this guy. He like invited, he saw me at an open mic and invited me to a show that he booked and stuff, and like so that was really cool. But BJ was, I did an open mic, and I came up, I was done, and he came up to me and was like, yeah, that was really cool, man. And, you're, and then it was like, you're kind of doing different things and like encouraged me to like continue doing it. And like I, he was already established. And so that was like just really nice of him. And I've always, and then since then we've been friends and he's asked me to like open for him at shows. And I think BJ's a really talented stand up and a super talented writer. He's amazing. And like, so it was cool like going from that, knowing him for four years in this like LA sort of alt comedy world. And then being on the set of this, like, major motion picture World War II movie. And, like, I remember we were on, we were somewhere in, in Berlin in an old, like, Nazi headquarters, an authentic Nazi headquarters. And we were standing there on the first day. And, I mean, this is a little corny, but I, like, looked at him. I was just like, this is so weird that, like, we were at the M-Bar and now we're at Berlin together. Like, if only so weird just because it was, like, such a coincidence, like, we would kind of cross paths again but like it's great i mean like a lot of the other guys there were writers too in a way so it, it wasn't ever this like the comedians versus the actors sort of thing it was just like everybody there was sort of like eli ross the director 
Michael Bacall is the screenwriter. You know, I do my thing. BJ does his thing. So in a weird way, Quentin kind of assembled, like, this group of, like, people who do their own shit. And um, uh, so it was cool getting to hang out with that group. Did your mom really make you a special edit of Pulp Fiction? Yeah, yeah. Well, when I was 13 is when Pulp Fiction came out, and I was dying to see it. Like, the commercials look so awesome, and, like, I would stay up to watch the late-night appearances of the actors just so I could see their clips when they showed them on, you know, Letterman <laughs> or whatever. And um, uh, I wanted to see it. I was begging my mom, and she wouldn't. She saw it. She loved it. There was a huge debate in my family. My dad loved Forrest Gump, and my mom liked Pulp Fiction more. So <laughs> it had nothing to do with my mom not being a fan. She's just, like, was looking out for a boy, and she thinks that sort of stuff is inappropriate for a 13-year-old, you know? Uh, and so I begged and begged and begged, and she, in, like, the sweetest gesture a mom has ever done, she sat down and spent an afternoon dubbing an original copy of Pulp Fiction to a VHS copy and doing, like, a mommy edit, like, taking out the stuff <laughs> she didn't think her little boy should see. And uh, she didn't have the uh, touch of a Walter Murch. <laughs> I mean, she was like, so it was like this poorly kind of constructed uh, <laughs> edit. The thing that breaks my heart, because she was so nice doing that, the thing she didn't know is that three months earlier, my friend and I were at a hotel when we rented it when it was parents were out. <laughs> I totally seen the whole movie from beginning to end. <laughs> but what are you going to do? <laughs> Paul, thank you so much for taking all this time to be on the Sandy Young America. It was oh, so great to have thank you. Thank you for having me. Dream come true. <laughs> Paul Rust is one of the stars of uh, the new movie, I Love You, Beth Cooper, which is in theaters now. And he's also featured in Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards, which is coming to theaters shortly. Thanks again, Paul. Thank you. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our editor is Nick White. Music provided by Dan Wally. You can email me at jesse at maximumfun.org. And if you would like to uh, subscribe to any of our awesome podcasts or check out our forum or our regularly updated blog, you can visit us on the web at maximumfun.org. We'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America.